Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Stephen Story, and I serve as the executive pastor here at Crawford Avenue, and I have the privilege of sharing today from the Word of God. Uh, our sermon text this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. So I invite you to turn there with me. If you're using one of the Bibles in your seat, you'll find the passage on page 835. Page 835. So please follow along as I read uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. This is God's word. Well, last Sunday was, of course, Easter Sunday, and we had a great time of worship together here at Crawford Avenue as we thought about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I don't know if you did anything else to celebrate, but uh, after church last Sunday, my family and I had lunch with uh, some friends from our community group, and uh, I say we we had lunch. We had uh, quite a meal. It was a bit of a feast. Uh, I kind of joked that it was like Thanksgiving in April because we had this wonderful spread of homemade food, and we were able to uh, enjoy uh, just a wonderful meal together and a beautiful spring afternoon outdoors and celebrate together that our Savior is alive. And it, it made sense to have a celebration like we did last Sunday, whether you think about here on Sunday morning as we worship together, or you think about lunch with, with friends, it makes sense to celebrate as Christians because we were celebrating something really big in the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the centerpiece of his ministry on earth. It was the, the climax of the story of his life. So we rightly celebrate Easter Sunday as the high point of the whole year for the church. Well, in some ways, we we might expect that the story of Jesus' life would end with the resurrection. We might not be surprised if the Bible ended with the resurrection story, or even if the story of Christianity ended when Jesus rose from the dead. Of course, we know that's not where the story ends. We're here today, 2,000 years later, gathered in the name of Christ. Easter was last week, but we're back today. And why is that? What is the the purpose? Why didn't it all get wrapped up when Jesus rose from the dead? Well, the disciples themselves may have been wondering these very things. By the time we get to the end of Matthew chapter 28, it's uh, it's 40 days after the resurrection, and uh, the original 12 disciples, um, of course now 11, as Judas is no longer part of their number, uh, the 11 disciples and many of Jesus' other followers had Um, had heard that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, Many of them had seen him and had spoken to him. And you can imagine that they're wondering at this point, what comes next? What's Jesus going to do now? What should we do now? So having just celebrated Easter, we don't want to miss what's next either. We, We know the truth that Jesus is alive, just as the disciples did here in Matthew chapter 28. We know this truth that Jesus is risen from the dead. So what do we do with it? 
Well, here's the, the main idea that I want us to see this morning, that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he gave us very clear instructions about what he wants his followers to do. And the primary job of every follower of Jesus is to make other people into followers of Jesus. The sermon this morning has three points. Uh, First of all, we'll see the great claim in verse 18. Second, the great commission in verses 19 and 20. And then the great comfort also in verse 20. We'll spend most of our time on the second of those three points. Uh, But first of all, the, the great claim in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, we we don't typically take instructions from somebody that we don't know. We don't know a person, or we don't know who they are, or why they might have authority. We we generally don't pay attention to the instructions they might give us. You think about if you were uh, driving down the road, um, maybe over here on Walton Way, you're you're driving down the road in your car, and you stop at a red light, and a car pulls up beside you, and guy rolls down his window and says, hey, pull your car over, get out of the car. What are you going to do? You're going to be like, who are you? What, why should I, what, what are you talking about? And you're going to be thinking to yourself, I don't know who he is, but I'm definitely not getting out of my car. You're not going to listen to his instructions. But if you're driving down the road and a Dodge Charger with flashing blue lights pulls up behind you and a voice over a speaker says, pull your car over and get out of the car, you're going to pull your car over and you're going to get out of the car. I hope, or something interesting will ensue if you don't. But if you If you are convinced the person has authority, you will listen to them and you will take their instructions very seriously. And um, I think that's what Jesus is doing here is that he's about to make a tremendous claim and give some, some pretty big instructions. And he is making it very clear that he has the authority to give the instructions he's about to give. He's claiming to have all authority over all people and all places and even over creation itself in heaven and on earth. And where does this authority come from? Uh, Jesus says that his authority is delegated authority. It was given to him. It was given to him by none other than God the Father. So one of the things that's that's happening here, and we're seeing it captured here in Matthew 28, is uh, we're actually seeing the fulfillment of a really important Old Testament prophecy uh, from back in uh, Daniel chapter 7. Listen as I read for us, uh, Daniel 7, I'll read verses 13 and 14. And hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Daniel wrote these words, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So here in Matthew 28, Jesus is making a pretty big claim. He is laying out his credentials. He's establishing his authority. And he is saying, I am the son of man that was prophesied. All peoples and nations and languages must obey me. I have been given a kingdom. I'm in charge of this kingdom. And my kingdom will never end. I have authority to give you the instructions that I'm about to give you. And you will do well to listen to me. So Jesus has our attention, right? What is he he going to do with all this authority? Well, Jesus is going to use his authority authority to give instructions to his followers. 
They're pretty short instructions, just a couple of verses. In many ways, they're very simple and straightforward instructions, but they're a really big deal for us as the church. And they're captured in what we call the Great Commission. And this is our second point in verses 19 and 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, I imagine many of us are very familiar with these verses. Uh, for me, when I, when I hear these verses, when I hear the, the Great Commission, my mind immediately goes to international missions. Um, I think about missions conferences I've been to or uh, books that I've read on missions or people I know who are serving as missionaries on the field. I read that, that first word in verse 19, go, and my mind immediately goes to places all over the world. And that's a good thing. But bear with me for just a second because, uh, believe it or not, international missions is not the primary thing I want to draw our attention to this morning And I don't even think it's the first point of Jesus' instructions to his followers. So I used to think that the command to go was the central focus of the Great Commission. But if we study these verses a little more closely, we see that go, as important as that is, go is not the first command that Jesus is giving here. Now, the the central command, his most basic instruction to his followers, is the command to make disciples. The primary instruction that Jesus is giving here is the command to make disciples. Now, many of us love international missions, and and rightly so. Um, And I just want to say that the centrality of the command to make disciples, uh, that that is the the main point of of, uh, this text here, uh, in no way diminishes the importance of going to the nations. But in fact, it actually makes it clearer for us what the purpose of the going is is. David Platt, um, who served as president of the International Mission Board uh, as a pastor and a a passionate advocate for the church going to the nations, um, made the same observation. He says, there is one imperative verb in Matthew 28, 19, make disciples. And it is surrounded by three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. So the command of Jesus is to make disciples, And this command is to be carried out in these three components of going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, if if Jesus is telling his audience that he has massive authority and he is using that authority to instruct that they make disciples, it's worth asking the question, well, what is a disciple and how do we make one? Well, a disciple is a, a student, a learner. A follower. It's a a person who seeks to become like the person they are studying. So the command of Jesus here is to make learners. Well, how do you make a learner? What does it look like in Jesus' mind for his followers to make learners? He lays it out for us here. You you go to them, you baptize them, and you teach them. So first you go to them. You you don't wait for them to come to you. You seek them out. You understand that uh, there are two types of people in the world. There are people who are following Jesus and learning from him and seeking to obey him. And there are people who are not following Jesus and not seeking to learn from him, not seeking to obey him. And you go and you find people in that second group so that you can point them to Jesus. 
And Jesus makes it really clear there's no place we should not go in order to find people who need to be made into Jesus learners. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, the word is ethnos. It means all ethnic groups, all people groups, all nations. It's pretty all-encompassing. So another way to say it, Jesus doesn't intend for anyone to be excluded from our target audience. Jesus did not want his disciples to say, let's go tell everyone about Jesus except for the Gentiles. Right? That made, that's made clear throughout the New Testament. Gentiles are to be included. He doesn't want us to say, well, let's tell everyone about Jesus except for the Muslims. Or let's tell everyone about Jesus except for my annoying next-door neighbor. Or let's tell everyone about Jesus except for the tribe on that island where they kill people from the outside world who come to visit. There's, there's no exceptions. There's no exclusions. Make people everywhere into Jesus' students. Look among all the nations to find people who aren't yet learning from Jesus. There's a a clear and special focus on the nations. It is connected to Daniel 7, which we read. uh, To the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve Him. And embedded within this is the, the centrality of making disciples. So you go. You go anywhere and you go everywhere with a a special focus on the people groups of the world who haven't heard. And then you baptize them. You tell them that that there is a God and that he's holy and righteous and that we were born in a state of rebellion against him and we have willingly sinned against him. You tell them the, the good news that God sent a person. He sent his son to rescue us from our sin. His name is Jesus. He died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And anyone and everyone who follows him can have new life that lasts forever. You call them to believe this message. You call them to put their their faith and their trust in Jesus. And those who do believe, you baptize them. Baptism is a a first act of obedience to Jesus. It's a a signification to those around you that you are uh, clearly and uh, without doubt putting your faith and your trust in Jesus and seeking to follow him. And then, then at this point, Jesus says, you teach them. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we, we said earlier that in some ways we might expect the, the story of the, the Bible to end with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we kind of have the same dynamic here that um, even though we, we could see where the story might end there, it, it keeps going. Well, it's the same thing here with Jesus' instructions, with his commission. You know, we might not be surprised if Jesus' commission here ends with baptizing new believers. We might expect that Jesus would tell his followers, go everywhere, deliver the gospel message to anyone who will listen and baptize as many people as possible, period. Or go everywhere, have as many people as possible say a prayer of repentance so that they can be baptized. Or Go make as many converts as you can. Like we, w- we wouldn't be surprised if we read that, if that's what Jesus said. But that's not what Jesus says. He wants us to go everywhere. He wants us to deliver the gospel message to as many people as possible. And yes, he wants to see millions upon millions of people believe and repent and be baptized. But in his instructions here, these things are only the beginning. Because what does he say in verse 20? He says, after you baptize them, then... You teach them, teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. 
And this is the real heart of Jesus' commission. It's the most central component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Obeying all that Jesus commanded and teaching others to obey all that Jesus commanded. There there are a few things we can say about verse 20. Um, First of all, it's important that we realize that Jesus is the source. Teach them all that I have commanded you. These are not our teachings. These are not our ideas that we're seeking to persuade others of. These come straight from Jesus himself, his life, his teachings, which are recorded for us beautifully in the four gospels. This is the source of what we are to be teaching. It's also important to realize that the the way Jesus um, talks about teaching and learning here, the focus is on what people do. In other words, Jesus doesn't just want people to learn information about what he taught. He wants their hearts to be transformed so that they observe and they obey what he taught. The focus is not on learning information, but on obedience. So teaching information alone is not the end goal. It's it's not like we can create a a 12-step plan to accomplish the, the result that Jesus is wanting here. The outcome that Jesus wants is for people to joyfully and willingly obey everything that he himself taught during his ministry. What are the types of things that Jesus taught during his ministry? What's he referring to here? He says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. John Piper says that, um, not surprisingly, he's written a book on this, and he said that in researching uh, for this book, he, he found over 500 specific commands or instructions that Jesus gave in the four Gospels. Um, specific imperative instructions that Jesus gave. There's at least 500 of them. These are things like, take up your cross and follow me. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You must be born again. Rejoice and leap for joy in the midst of persecution. Fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Worship God in spirit and truth. Always pray and do not lose heart. Don't be anxious about anything. Humble yourself. Be the servant of everyone. Don't hold grudges. Love your neighbor as yourself. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Love your enemies. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Listen to me. My words are life. Let your light shine before men. Make disciples of all nations. And we could keep going. Pages and pages of what Jesus did and specifically what he taught during his ministry. The things he commanded us. What are we to do with these commands? Well, Jesus wants us to sit at his feet and listen and learn what he has taught, to seek to obey, and then to go and to help others sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and learn so that they too can obey all that he has taught. We're to make disciples, disciples who magnify the beauty and the worth of Jesus and of the one who sent him. I think it's important for us to realize here that what we're talking about with seeking to obey all that Jesus commanded This is not legalism. Seeking to obey all that Jesus commanded is not legalism. Teaching others to obey all that Jesus commanded is not legalism. If you you read anything at all in the Gospels, you realize that, that Jesus hated legalism. He destroyed it. 
He shredded any sense of legalism, and this is abundantly clear. And, and the same Jesus who destroyed the Pharisees and their legalism, that same Jesus also says here, obey everything that I have commanded you. Trying to obey Jesus perfectly so that he will love you and so that you can go to heaven, that is legalism. But trying desperately to learn from and obey everything that Jesus taught out of a, a love for him and a desire to see his name lifted up and to see him magnified so that he receives glory and honor, that's just plain obedience. And Jesus is presenting here a much bigger idea of what it means to be a Christian than what many of us are accustomed to. And whether we would say it or not, I think many of us function as if being a Christian means repenting of your sins and being baptized and then coming to church every Sunday. And if you're really, really serious about being a Christian, you might join a community group and sign up to serve in a ministry. And that's kind of your, you get into this routine and that's your routine and you're a Christian and that's what you do. But Jesus here is, is wanting so much more than this. He's wanting us to be lifelong students of his who are always studying his word Again, like we said, sitting at his feet, listening and seeking to understand, seeking to become more and more like him, and then to go and to help others do the same. He wants us to be his disciples. He wants us to go and make others disciples. You know, we're reading here at the end of uh, Matthew, uh, the Great Commission, we're witnessing Jesus' final interaction with his disciples on the earth. But think back, what was, what was his first interaction with his disciples? Well, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' first interaction with, with his disciples was back in chapter 4. Uh, you might remember the story. Um, it's at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're out there. It says they're casting their net. They're doing their work as fishermen. And Jesus walks up to them, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. One commentator writes, Consider how Matthew 28 serves as a fitting conclusion to this initial meeting between Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 4. Jesus' introduction teaches every follower of Jesus is a fisher of men. Jesus' conclusion teaches every disciple is a disciple maker. According to Jesus, from beginning to end, to be a disciple is to make disciples. Scripture knows nothing of disciples who aren't making disciples. You see God's design here that, that this is a self-perpetuating thing. Jesus called disciples to follow him, and he told them that part of being a faithful disciple was making other disciples. In Jesus' mind, every single one of his followers should be seeking to make other followers. It's a never-ending cycle until Jesus returns. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, much of uh, the world watched on live TV as the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris was burning. And thankfully, the building didn't burn completely to the ground. Uh, much of it was able to be saved, but um, it was still a pretty serious loss. And uh, it was interesting watching the news coverage, how uh, people all over the world had emotional responses to watching this building burn. And for some, the reaction was about religion. Uh, for other people, it was about the priceless artwork inside the cathedral. Uh, and then for others, there was an emotional response just based on the history and the age of the building itself. So construction on Notre Dame began in the year 1160. 
And think about that. A building that has stood in one location through all the things that have happened in world history since the Middle Ages for over 800 years. And so people were saying things like, we can't lose this building. It's our link to the past. It's our connection to the past. And there's definitely something compelling about a particular thing you can put your hands on that has been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and has seen so much happen and so much change, and yet here it stands. And you do feel a special link to the past with something like Notre Dame. Well, for for Christians, Jesus designed that his disciples would make disciples who make disciples. This is the ultimate link to the past. We're here today because the disciples in Matthew 28 obeyed what Jesus told them to do. Jesus returned to his father and these disciples went and sought to make disciples among the entire known world at the time. And their disciples made disciples. And those disciples made disciples. And on and on and on it's gone with every generation making disciples, pointing them back to Jesus, pointing them back to the things that Jesus taught and did. And it's continued that way for 2,000 years And here we are today. This is the way God designed it. This is the way it's supposed to work. There's definitely an element here. We think about the Great Commission as it relates to unbelievers. And uh, and that's uh, definitely the case. We think about people who don't yet trust in Christ. The Great Commission would have us to, to seek out those people. But the Great Commission is not simply about making converts. Part of the instruction here is for what Jesus intends to happen after someone is converted after they are baptized. So baptism is a, is a one-time thing, but teaching to observe all that Jesus commanded. This is a, a lifelong thing. We're talking about shaping people into the image of Christ. That's what Jesus wants. So the Great Commission is also concerned with us internally as a church. It's concerned with all of us who are already Christians. And the call of Jesus here is for us to be making disciples even of one another. There isn't anyone here who has arrived at the point of perfectly observing all that Jesus commanded. And with that being the case, Jesus wants us to help each other as we all together push towards this goal. Now, our, our, our mission here at Crawford Avenue is to make, uh, excuse me, to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. To glorify God by making disciples. And those two words, making disciples, are there for a reason. We want to be a church that obeys the great commission of Jesus. And we certainly want to seek out people and people groups among the nations. We've sent out, just in the last few months, we've sent out members from this church to, uh, to Moultrie, Georgia, and to South Africa, and to Southeast Asia. Um, we're planning in a few weeks to send out the Hubbard family as they go to prepare for Bible translation. And these things are focused on making disciples among the nations. And we also want to be a church that's making disciples right here amongst ourselves. So we we do this in formal settings for sure. We do it through our Sunday morning teaching and preaching, through our uh, men's and women's Bible studies. Maybe you think about all the children in our church. Did you know that on a a given Sunday there are well over 100 kids here at Crawford Avenue? Kids from all ages, from all across our community. Every time we're together, there's a hundred or more children we can be making into disciples of Jesus. But much of our disciple-making can happen outside of our scheduled times. 
And so when you, when you go out to lunch with uh, a Christian fr- friend from your community group, and uh, maybe he's sharing that he's really um, anxious and worried about work because there's a, there's a rumor that layoffs might be coming, and he's worried that uh, he might lose his job and not be able to provide for his family. Well, guess what? In, in that moment, in that interaction, you have an opportunity to help make a disciple. You can remind your friend, Jesus doesn't want you to be anxious or worried. In fact, Jesus commanded us not to be anxious. Remember Matthew chapter 6? He told us to look at the birds, how they, they don't have to work or labor, but God feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than the birds? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's making a disciple. Or when one of your friends in the church is battling a, a chronic illness and is fighting for joy and faith in the midst of physical suffering, You can be a source of gentle encouragement. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't lose heart. Keep going. Keep trusting. That's making a disciple. There was a a great blog post uh, on the Gospel Coalition this past week that talked about the importance of unlikely Christian friendships. That even among people who have nothing else in common, God intends for us to be united in Christ. People who might not otherwise be friends, God intends for us to to love one another and help and serve one another as fellow believers. And, And the writer pointed out, she says, friendships within the church are essential to our spiritual protection. We face many temptations. We don't always see our sin clearly. So God works through godly friends as a means of rescue. Biblical love calls us to help one another in the battle against sin in the fight for holiness. We can't do it alone. That, that too is disciple-making. In, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul explains that the reason God gave leaders to the church is so that those leaders can equip the saints or equip the Christians in the church for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is a description of Christians making disciples of other Christians. And as we help one another to become more faithful, more mature disciples, that will propel us outward to then go and make disciples in our communities and among the nations. Now, there's, there's one final element of this I want us to consider this morning, and that's the impossible nature of the task that Jesus has given us. That's right, he's giving us a job to do here, and it's an impossible job. Listen to what uh, John Piper says on this. He says, if Jesus had, had said to his disciples, teach them all that I have commanded you, that would have been hard. There are a lot of commandments that Jesus gave, and distilling all of those and explaining all of those and teaching all of those would be hard. But Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, teaching them all that I have commanded you. He said something infinitely harder. He says, teaching them to not only know, but observe all that I have commanded you. It's one thing to put commandments in people's heads. It's another thing to change their hearts so that they gladly obey. That's impossible for a human being to do. Only God can do that. So the the nature of the task itself is impossible for humans to accomplish. And then Think about this. Jesus gave the Great Commission to the people that, uh, that we today think of as the cream of the crop, right? 
the apostles, the, the people here who saw the risen Lord and personally learned from him and were personally commissioned by him. They saw him resurrected from the dead. But look up at verse 17 of our, our sermon text. It says that when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So even at, at the moment Jesus gave the great commission, there were still doubters in the crowd. That's, that's really striking. Here's Jesus about to return to the Father. He's unveiling his plan to see that the gospel goes to the entire world. He entrusts this plan to his closest followers. And in some way that isn't fully explained here, there are still traces of doubt among the crowd. And this, this doesn't inspire much confidence that the plan will succeed, does it? This speaks of the, the power of unbelief, I think, that even in the presence of the physical risen Lord, the temptation to doubt was still present. But I think it speaks even more to the reality that Jesus never intended his disciples then, and he doesn't intend us as his disciples now to accomplish this task without his help. So this is our, our third and final point, the great comfort in verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, this is a tremendous task that I'm giving you of making other disciples for me. Not only is the, the size and the scope of the task more than you can possibly imagine, the very nature of the work itself of, of changing people's hearts is work that you cannot possibly do on your own. And so I'm with you. Not just now, not just for a few months or a few years, but until the end of the age. One translation says, I am with you until the completion of the age. The promise that Jesus is with us will not expire. As long as there remains work to do, he will be with us. The idea that God did not leave us alone, uh, but is with us. This is a, an idea that runs all throughout Matthew's gospel. Uh, back in uh, chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And here at the conclusion of the book, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, what comes after the resurrection? What comes after Easter? Well, it's a, it's a very specific job. It was given to us by Jesus himself. He calls us to be his students, to be people who are ever studying Jesus and learning from Jesus. And he calls us to make Jesus learners, Jesus students, disciples out of other people everywhere amongst ourselves, and among the nations. So ask yourself this morning, are, are you a follower of Jesus? If not, come to him in faith this morning. Place your faith in him and follow him. If you're following Jesus, are you making disciples? Are you making disciples of your own family? Are you making disciples of your closest friends, of others, even in the church? Are you making disciples of your next-door neighbors? Would God have you to make disciples among the nations? This is our job until he returns. He will be with us by his Spirit to ensure 
that the mission succeeds. So let's push forward as a church to be obedient to the commands he's given us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we love your son, the Lord Jesus. We want to be obedient to him and we want to be obedient to the commission that he gave us. Father, we pray this morning that you would make us into disciples who obey all that your son commanded. May your spirit work in our hearts and more and more every day would you just be changing our hearts and shaping us into the image of your son. Help us to encourage one another in that, to help each other push forward and to be faithful. Lord, help us by the power of your Spirit to be obediently seeking to make disciples of others, both here at Crawford Avenue and in our community here in Augusta, and especially among the unreached nations of the world. Shape us more and more into a faithful, obedient, disciple-making church. We pray that you would do all of this for your glory. We pray in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.